Good morning. Thanks for being here today. Um, you know, at the beginning of the year, or actually end of, as 2022 came into view, our staff um, took a retreat and we kind of got on our knees and asked the Lord what our gospel adventure as a church should be coming into this year. And every year, as a church, we have a gospel challenge, a gospel uh, pursuit. And, and our prayer has been that this year our church would engage together on this mission life. And, and you know, it's, um, when I think about our city and our, our nation, our, just where we are, I think we need missionaries now more than ever in the world we live in. And, and I think I'm convinced that in the United States, in, in, in Owasso, in Tulsa, that we're, we're called to this mission field. We're called to serve the Lord right, right here. And I don't want to miss that. And, and um, you know, before I came to be the pastor here, I was the youth minister in Oklahoma City. And, and, um, and in my 25-plus years of youth ministry, I would sometimes hear students say, man, church is boring. And, and I, that just doesn't gel with me. It doesn't gel with what I've experienced in my life. And because cause following Jesus has been like the most amazing gospel adventure I've ever experienced. Now, I haven't, I'm not saying I've lived some kind of Christian Indiana Jones thing. I haven't done that. But, but, but I'll tell you, following Jesus has moved me to take steps into the unknown. It's shaped my my marriage. It's, it's changed how the way I've raised my kids. It's shaped the experiences we've had with our children. It's, it's um, man, it's, it's been uncomfortable at times. It's been amazing to follow Jesus. Following Christ is, it can be described in a lot of things. Boring's not one of them. If that's a description of your walk with the Lord, something's terribly wrong because you can't live by faith and equate the word boring to it. Now, um, one of the biggest things, biggest blessings I've seen in my life of following Jesus are people that have come to know Christ. You know what happens when somebody comes to know Christ, right? The, the, uh, like First Peter 2.10 fleshes out right in front of your eyes where it says, once you were not a people, but now you're the people of God. Once you'd not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. When, when someone comes to Christ, their eternal destiny completely changes. And when we've seen that, and, when, and we've seen that, that, that these people that we've known that have not known Christ, not had the hope of Christ, then received the hope of Christ. And it's been, that's been one of the coolest things we've seen. You know, um, I, I, I want you to see this picture. This, is, this picture is one of my favorite pieces of art. I've used it before, and, 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 and this, this is so meaningful to me. It hangs over my desk. And, um, and I try often to stop and look at it because, you know, like art in your house or a picture in your house, you tend to, like, walk by it and not see it anymore, you know, you know what I mean? Uh, unless you move it and you go, I really like that. I just hadn't seen it. And, uh, but I try often to remind myself, stop and look at that because it's so significant to me. Years ago when I was in, 
at Council Road Baptist Church as a youth minister, I was, on a Wednesday night, I, I preached a message on Matthew 9. And a kid in my youth ministry named Josh Burton, he was an eighth grader at the time. He has like four kids now, I think. But, um, but at that point, he was an eighth grader. He goes home and he draws that picture. It's a chalk drawing. And he brings it to me the next day and said, here, I, I drew this for you. And I thought, oh my goodness, Josh, it's like the it's so significant to me. I had it framed and I've always kept it. And, and <clears throat> I want you to see it. Um, you know, it's, it's, if you notice it, and I, we've got a picture of it up here. It's kind of glaring. Uh, it may be kind of hard to see because of the glare, but, um, but, but I want you to notice this. This, this, you have a, you have a Christian here and, and he's got his light Matthew 9 was, was the passage when Jesus saw the crowds and he, he was filled with compassion. And, and, and this Christian, you know, he's got his light. We're the light of the world, right? When, when Christ comes, he gives you the light of life. And, and um, Josh was articulating this, this light that is shining on the Christian's face. But if you look at it and you look behind him, you see kind of a lot of a crowd of people. If you look closely at the crowd, you, you see one guy at the front of the crowd here, and, and he's got his hand out, and he's got a candle, but it's, but it's not lit. And it's just a picture of the world around him. Because that, that, really, people that don't know Christ, they, 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 they don't have a hope in eternal life. They, they face death with incredible fear and wonder and doubt. But when you come to know Christ, you, you, you have hope that extends into eternity, the promise of eternal life. But they're dark, and it's empty. And, and, but, but I want you to notice our main character here. There's, there's something significant about him that I want you to notice. What do, what do you see when you see him? He, if you look closely, his, his eyes are shut. And, and he doesn't see the people that are all around him. You know, this moves me. You know, over the last few weeks, when we started 2022, we, we began looking at our core values through the, the churches at Revelation. We've looked at four of them. Today is the fourth church at Revelation. We first week we looked at Ephesus and we talked about our purpose statement that we are a church that, that are called to love all people to Christ, equipping them on their journey with God and one another. And, and as a core value, we try to live that purpose statement out. Then the next week we uh, looked at Thyatira, the church at Thyatira, and we talked about one of our core values, which is we, we do our best to connect God's truth to our daily lives. That's very important for us, to, to take the, what the Word of God says and connect it to the way we live. Last week, we, we looked at this really, this clear, difficult message to the church at Sardis, talking about a third core value, which is we, we, are, we are striving to live an authentic biblical community. And today, we're looking at our fourth core value. And, it's a, and if you have your Bibles in Revelation chapter 3, we're going to look at the church of Laodicea. You know what we're going to talk about? Our core value that we are, we are to engage together as ambassadors for Christ. You see, what's stark about this picture, what's important about this picture is this is a, 
an ambassador for Christ. This is a, 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 one of the believers like us that are called to represent Christ to the world, to all those around us, to, to engage the harvest field where, where we're planted. And, and I, I keep this above my desk because I want to constantly remind myself, Chris, open, open our eyes. Open my eyes to the, the lost world around me. Open, our, open my eyes to the, to the needs around me, to the people around me, to the harvest field where God has planted us. And my prayer is that we can engage his word today. Revelation 3 is, is such an interesting passage. Laodicea is the city we're going to look at. It's the church there in, in Revelation 3. And, and there's a couple of things about them that I wanted to notice I want you to note, I want to note before we dive into the passage, Laodicea was a, was a famous city. It was a city known, they had this certain kind of sheep in Laodicea. It was this black sheep that was very rare. And, and they made this, very, this black silk that was uh, wool, from, I think it was wool, from this sheep that was very rare and very expensive. So that was part of the industry of Laodicea. They also manufactured this substance called calerium, I think is how you say it, calerium. And and it was this famous eye medicine. And um, they would send it all over the world. It's very expensive and very valuable, very helpful. And they'd put it on uh, on eyes for eye disease. It was also um, this city that had, they were kind of known for a banking center. They, they were very wealthy. They, they could fund a lot of things. In fact, in AD 60, in Laodicea, there was a big earthquake, and the city was just devastated. They were a part of the Roman Empire, and, and it's interesting because Rome reached out to Laodicea and offered, hey, we'll give you some funds. We will help you. But it, it was so affluent, they said, you know what? We really don't need your help. And remarkably, in, in just a matter of 30 years, the entire city was rebuilt, and, and it was just a wealthy place. The, the, the words Laodicea is interesting. It, it, Laos, 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 it kind of stands for, for uh, people. And then Decia, which is a derivative of, of rule, which basically means the people ruled themselves. You know what's interesting? That was their problem. They were ruling themselves. Stand with me and let's look at this text this morning. We're going to start in verse 14 and let's allow the Lord to speak to us today. Revelation 3, 14. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works, You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. 
Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He has an ear. Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And this is the word of the Lord. Thank you. Maybe may be seated. Now, um, in my, my family, I've, always ha- I've had this habit for a long time. I, I, um, I often will send my girls out, especially, I can't remember doing this much for Eric, my son, but, but my girls, um, I have two daughters and my wife, I would always send them out to school with like drinks and breakfast and all that stuff. Eric was too late. He, never, he was always rushing out the door. I never got it. But, um, but, but you know, uh, Emily, before we moved to Owasso, Emily, my oldest daughter, and my wife would ride to school together. And so I would always send them out, Robin with her coffee. Emily didn't drink coffee at that time. And, and so uh, one day I, I was looking in the cabinet and I found, I, somehow, for some reason, we bought those marshmallows with coconut on them. You ever seen those? They're pretty good. I like those. I mean, but um, so I, I thought to myself, wow, I'll be rock star dad today. I'm going to make Emily some hot chocolate. I'm going to put the, I mean, I think I want to have some of this today, some hot chocolate with coconut marshmallows. That just, doesn't that sound good? Maybe it didn't sound good. Well, it, it was pretty good. I thought it was good. And so, so I put that in the hot chocolate, and, but I didn't tell her. I didn't tell her that's what I'd done. And uh, she was just expecting regular hot chocolate. So, so they go off to school, and they're on the road, and, and they're about three blocks down the road. And Emily's thought, I'm gonna, my dad is so great. He made me some hot chocolate. And, and she takes a big old swig. And that marshmallow, the coconut had all melted off, and it was just floating at the top. And, and she took a swig of that, and that texture shocked her. So much so that um, Robin got to experience not only the marshmallows coming up, but what Emily had for dinner the night before and anything she had put in her body that morning. So everything started coming out. Thankfully, Robin got the window down, and Emily shared that with cars passing by. It was outstanding. Um, so I, it was, I was not dad of the year in that moment. Um, but, but have you ever been so sickened that you spewed something out of your mouth? Here's a glaring point in this passage of Scripture. It's possible for a church to make God sick. And, and I, I, oh man, you, you cannot read this passage without recognizing that this is a church that Jesus says, I am spewing you out of my mouth. It makes me so sick. Now what kind of church makes God sick? I think one is a self-sufficient church. A church that says, man, we got everything we need. Look at verse 17. It says, for you say I am rich. I've acquired wealth and I do not need a thing. You know what they were really communicating here? This is a church saying, God, we really don't need you. We got this. 
You know, I'm so grateful that we are, we are embracing uh, this financial maturity. We, we've got a bunch of people in, in Ramsey Plus that we're giving this away. And, and as a church, we are, we are committed to live debt-free. And, and, and we're going to save up for things that we need to do as a church. And, and this, is a, this is a responsibility we have and a calling we have. And I think it honors the Lord to do that. But let's never, let's never forget this passage. Let's never um, embrace the temptation or fall for the temptation for us being a self-sufficient church, a a church that says, hey, we, we can provide for our own needs. This is a church that says, Lord, we don't need you. And you know what? I think about so many, the, the spiritual condition of America we kind of have that mentality that, that, you know what, we've got our technology, we've got our, 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 our first world stuff, we, we've got all of our sophistication, we've got all our intellect, we got it all. Lord, we don't need you. Let me tell you something, you always need the Lord in your life. We as a church will always need the Lord. And it's interesting, as, I, as, as you look at God's people all through history, there's a temptation for God's people from the beginning to think, ah, oh, we got this. I don't need you, Lord. It's like I mentioned last week, the Deuteronomy 6, 10 warning. And then I'll say it, I'll show you that passage again in Deuteronomy 6, 10 through 12. That was when the children of Israel got this message. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build and houses full of good things that you did not fill and cisterns that you did not dig and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you, are, when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord." See, God's people for for all through history have been warned, don't forget the Lord. Don't don't get self-sufficient. And look, I'm learning in my life that, that, that one of the conditions, one of the disciplines in my life that help me remember that I need the Lord is my prayer life. You know, when, when, what happens when I pray? When we pray as a church, we're getting on our knees saying, God, we need you. Look, we've got to grow in our prayer lives. We've got we to we gotta grow to, to pray more than just when we eat and when we go to bed. Look, we, we've got to learn to pray. When you pray, you're saying, God, we're seeking you. God, we need you. God, we're looking to you. And I want to ask you, moms and dads, are your kids hearing you pray? Are your, are your kids watching, listening to you pray? And, and are you influencing them by your prayers that you're praying? By, by, by seeing you on your knees going, Lord, I'm seeking your face. I'm, 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 I need you, Lord. Now, I've been in hostile conversations with atheists before that looks at me and says, you know what, your religion is just a crutch. And look, without apology, I don't... Hide the fact that I need Jesus. I need the Lord. You know, Laodicea became a self-sufficient church. And they didn't need the Lord. And they thought they didn't. And, and you know, I'm not, a, I'm not an aviation expert. I did call Randy Philpott to see if this was illustration works. But, but you know... Um, 
you, you know, we have a lot of aviation people in our church, and I'm getting on a plane on Tuesday, an American Airlines plane, and, and, and you know, uh, from what I see, a, a church should be like a plane. A plane is the only vehicle that I know that, I mean, you could argue with me about this, but it's the only, when it's in the air, it doesn't have reverse, Right? You don't go in reverse when you're in the, when I get on a plane on Tuesday, I don't want that plane to be in the air and start going in reverse. Randy told me, yeah, if it starts going in reverse, it's going to crash. A plane's got to move forward. Do you know what? A church has to move forward. We got to keep looking to the Lord. We got to keep saying, Lord, what do you have for us? Where are you taking us? Because until he returns, we got work to do. And that's why we got to make sure we're living with our eyes open, looking to the Lord not being a self-sufficient church. But there's another kind of church that makes the Lord sick. And it's the who cares church. Look at verse 15 or 14. The angel of the church in Odyssea write the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You're neither cold nor hot. Look, look, notice what he says there. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. You know, this is a church that, that, that keeps their eyes shut. This is a church that says, yeah, I know there's needs around me. I, I, look, I'm too busy. I don't care. It's a church that makes God sick. Let's understand a little geography here. Six miles north across the the Lycus was the city of Hierapolis, and it was known for its hot springs. It's close to Laodicea, six miles away. And um, it had these hot springs, and it was beautiful. And it, it, these hot springs flowed across this huge um, um, plateau, and it spilled over this cliff that had all these, uh, you know, calcium carbonite. It was just beautiful. It was pretty, and it was just this phenomenon, and it was this hot mineral water that people would go to, and it was, it was so soothing. But af after it came down to Laodicea, it was lukewarm. And Colossae, is, it was on the other side, and it was these cold springs, and, and, and the cold water of Colossae would come, and, and it was so refreshing for this cold water, and, and, and it would flow, and, and these waters would mix together, the cold and the hot, and it got to Laosia, and it was just, it was lukewarm. It's like a lukewarm bath. Who likes that? Um, one commentary I, I read said, said this, the adjectives hot, cold, and lukewarm are are not to be taken as describing the spiritual fervor or lack of it, of people. The contrast is between the hot medicinal waters of Hierapolis and the cold pure waters of Colossae. So it's not meaning that, oh, you should be hot, not cold. That's not what he says. Jesus says, I'd rather you be hot or cold. I'd rather you be uh, soothing and, and, and helpful or refreshing and pure rather than just stuck in the middle. The church of Laodicea was providing neither refreshment for the spiritually weary, nor healing for the spiritually sick. It was totally ineffective. 
and thus distasteful to the Lord. That, that was the problem at Laodicea. They, they were just useless. Their eyes were shut. They weren't helpful. Lukewarm Christians, lukewarm churches make God sick. And you can't escape that from this passage. You know, you know what? I was thinking about lukewarm Christians. Lukewarm Christians believe in the cross, but they're just not moved by it. They, they believe in the facts of sin, but they're just not disturbed by it. They believe that there's a hell, but they don't have a broken heart that people are headed there. They believe that they ought to love people to Christ and, and they, they ought to you know, grow in their journey with God. They believe that. But there's not really an urgency to do anything about it. Lukewarm Christians are half-hearted. They, they may not be in some kind of glaring public uh, heresy or sin, um, but they just kind of yawn at spiritual things. Man, I pray God never looks at this church and sees a lukewarm church. You know, I'll be honest with you. I'm not talking at you today. I'm sitting with you. Because I, look, I pray God never sees me as a lukewarm pastor. You as a lukewarm servant of Christ. Here's the point. Here's, here's something I want you to remember, and I pray we, we catch that God has called every believer in every church to be a refresher. We're to be a refresher. We're to be those that, 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 that bring healing and bring, bring, bring refreshment to the world, to our city. It starts where we live. We ought to be the, and I'm convicted, uh, and I, I love it that we're a church that goes all over the world, but, but I'll tell you, if we go all over the world and don't engage the mission field where we're planted, we ought to be most effective where we live, right? You ought to be most, a most effective witness with the people that know you, right? I mean, they ought to be the ones that, that see Jesus the most in you because they see you more. And, and I, I just, um, we've seen this in our church. Oh my goodness, we've seen this. Um, this the start of this year has been, um, was a challenging first week of the year in our church. We, we saw three funerals in this room. Ishmael uh, died, a young, young man in our church, passed away. And, 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 but, but you know what? Though we were really sad about, about that, we saw him come to know Christ and, and people prayed for him. And, and I was there when Joe baptized him in a swimming pool and, and where a lot of people, a lot of students in our church, they got to see one of their friends come to Christ. And we didn't know that just a few years later he'd go to heaven. But let me tell you, he's in heaven because Jesus saved him. Then, oh man, 
Jim Beers, one of our most faithful Sunday school teachers in the life of our church. I mean, he was a refresher. Oh my goodness, he was a refresher. He, he was such a great leader and, and, and such a godly man. And, and, and you know what? Uh, I, I stood up here to preach his funeral and, and, and I couldn't help but talk about Jesus when I talked about Jim's life. That, that's a refresher. That, that, that's a guy with his wi- eyes wide open. John Mays, same week. Just a few weeks ago, before uh, the, the new year started, Keith took a picture of John, and, and he was on our, our greeting crew, and he couldn't stand up anymore because he was not feeling well. So they, they put a chair out there in between the doors, and he would greet people as, as he would walk in, as people would walk in. He'd go, oh, good to see you, glad you're here. He was feeling terrible, but no one knew it because he was a refresher. God gave him power. God gave him strength. Look, we've seen what it looks like for someone to be a refresher right in front of our eyes. We've seen what ambassadors look like, and we see it all the time right around us. And that's why I look at this passage, and I, I can recognize some things from this passage that help us learn how to be a refresher. You know what that looks like? There's a secret to this that these men have lived in front of us. And the first one is this. There's four things I want to give you. The first way to become a refresher is that Christ is Lord of your life. You know, Christ is Lord. Look at the verse 14. To the angel of the church and lay out a sea right. The words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. Jesus says about himself, he's the amen. That's a Greek word that says to be sure, to be true. It's used in Isaiah 65, 16 to describe the only God. In, in that verse, he's the God of the amen. And, and, and you see in Revelation 3, 14, this, this title is reserved for the, the king of all kings, the Lord of all lords. That's who Jesus is. And, and he's the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. That, that, that's a Greek word that means the originator. Yeah, I mean, look, there's no one like the Lord. And that's why I loved uh, being led by Joe's heart and his passion today as he said, there's, there's no one like Jesus. There's no, the, he's, his name is above all names. And at his name, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. That's who we serve. That's who's called us. That's who's moved us. That's who's saved us. That's who's commissioned us. That's, that's who we represent That's who we're an ambassador for, the king of all kings. And you know what? Lordship, it it, it moves beyond the experience of salvation towards this growing and vibrant and interactive relationship with Christ on a daily basis. That's what God invites us to. That's the adventure that awaits us. That's the mission life that's in front of us, this daily interaction with the Lord. Oh, that keeps our eyes open. That keeps us noticing the crowd around us. But there's another characteristic of an ambassador for Christ, not only is lordship a reality, but this passage helps us see that, it, that ambassadors for Christ are, are those that, that steps of faith, are, are, are we, we, we're, they're constantly being taken. 
We take steps of faith. We live by faith. Look at verse 17. For, for it says, the failure of Laodicea, for, for you say I am rich. I have prospered and I need nothing. Not realizing that you're wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. You see, ambassadors for Christ, uh, they, they, they don't stop. They, they don't operate in their own strength. They, they, they operate in the strength that God provides. And, and that's our calling, to, to, to rely on the strength that the Lord provides, to, to trust the Lord, to, to walk with the Lord, to engage the Lord. And, and when you look at this passage, it's the, the saddest thing to the Laodicean church is this list. Think about this list. It says that they're wretched. What, what does that mean? It's, this, it's a Greek word meaning hard and calloused. They were hard to the Lord. They were callous to the Lord. They were pitiable. That's a Greek word that means pitiful. You, you're, you're, you're really, you, you think you're rich and you think you're, you, you look all good, but oh man, you're, you're really, you're, you're really pitiful. Poor, he says. That's one who begs for crumbs or who really are, are craving and hungry. And, and they're, 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 they were just, they thought they were wealthy. They thought they had everything together, but they were poor. And then this sad description of Laodicea, the place where, where they would produce this, this medicine for eyesight and bring all this healing. He says to them, you're blind. You, you don't have spiritual discernment. You don't have spiritual insight. Your eyes are closed, blind. This city known for this expensive, beautiful wool. They prided themselves in their clothing. He says, ah, oh, and you know what? You're naked. You're dressed in rags. And think about it, to be a children, child of the king, but dressed in rags. You know, how do you avoid that? You take steps of faith. You trust the Lord. You don't live in your own power. But there's another characteristic of the ambassador for Christ. And you see this in this passage, such a beautiful picture. An ambassador for Christ, um, repentance becomes this pattern, this consistency. You know, we're learning as a church that, that repentance is good. Conviction is something we lean into. You know, Satan wants us to think that, that when you feel conviction of sin, push that away and, oh, don't go to church and uh, don't, don't listen to that. No, no, you're, you're okay, but, no, but God often moves us to repentance. God consistently moves us to repent, corrects us, shapes us. Look at what he says in verse 18. Jesus says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by the fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourselves and the, the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. 
The gold here is this picture of faith. We see this in 1 Peter, and, and, and we lean into repentance, and we embrace this conviction of the Lord. The white garments, that's, that's talking about righteousness, and, and, and that, that we're not made right on our own, that Jesus makes us, us righteous. And, and the eye salve, that, that's talking about the, look, Jesus is going to open your spiritual eyes. But notice verse 19. Oh, let's not miss verse 19. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Those whom I love, Jesus says, I confront. I'm going to discipline you. You know, when we feel the discipline of the Lord, don't you know that's because God loves you? When we, get, when we feel the, the conviction of the Lord, that's because God loves you. And that's why we, we are learning to, and I want to be a pastor that, that leans into conviction, that, that is sensitive to the, the spirit of correction in my heart and in my life. Because I need it. We need it. That's why he says, look at, look at verse 19. So be zealous and repent. It's like, hey, let's, zealous, you know what that means. That means like, do it passionately, do it quickly, do it, do it, uh, do it confidently. Repent. Be zealous and repent. You know, when I, when I think about this, this call we have to be an ambassador for Christ, I think you can summarize it in this, that, that when, when everyone around us sees Jesus in our lives, we're being faithful ambassadors. You see the beauty of this picture? Look, these guys notice it. They see the light. They see their need of it. And I think that's true of the world. I think the world knows that, look, there's something about death that, that an eternity that's real. There's something about an authentic believer when they, when they engage a, a true follower of Christ, they go, man, there's something compelling about that believer. There's a reason that all through history, God anoints and God's hand is on believers that walk with him. And so my prayer is that, that we make sure that people see Jesus in us, not just what we have or what we can do in our own power, but they see Jesus in us. Let's look at verse 20. Verse 20 is such, is one of the, in my, I think it's one of the most widely misinterpreted passages in all scripture. I've heard this my whole life, someone sharing the gospel with somebody saying, hey, Jesus is standing at the door of your heart, and he's knocking. And, you know, Jesus does come to us. I'm not saying that. He does. He comes to us. Jesus has come unto you. Maybe some of you don't know Christ as your Savior. Jesus comes to you. Jesus draws you. So that is true. But you know what this passage is? This is to a church. This is to a group of believers that Jesus was outside their church going, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. Man, I pray it's never 
a description of our church, that Jesus is outside going, hey, would y'all let me in? Would you let me in? Because I'll come in and I'll, I'll feed you. I'll lead you. Man, I pray we hear that. Because a church that makes God sick says, we got this on our own. Jesus, we don't need you. Man. In verse 22, it's so fascinating. That the ending of every church at Revelation is the same. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So can I ask you a question? Is, is this you? Are, are you a believer that is, you've been saved and Jesus has washed your sins away and you've got the light of Christ, but you just don't notice what's around you? You know, it struck me yesterday. I got some major brownie points as a husband because I went to the grocery store for my wife. And you know what I noticed when I went to the grocery store? I went to two stores, Reese's and Walmart. You know what I saw at both those places? People. It was Saturday. I saw People. And you know what? I got to talk to people yesterday. God helped me see people yesterday. Let's open our eyes to the people around us. You know, you know every week this year, we're going to have a very specific mission life challenge. And here's our challenge to you. I want to challenge you to sign up for our workplace mission trip. It starts February 6th. You can go to our website, our app. There's a place that says workplace mission trip. I want to challenge you to begin the, the growth journey of noticing the people around you. You could go on a mission trip without just going to work on Monday, February 7th, or 6th, my days are 7th. You can sign up. You might go, oh, Chris, I'm retired. Oh, oh no, you you, guess what? You're probably not going to be sitting at home all day watching Netflix. And if you are, hey, don't do that. Because you could engage that mission trip. You know what you would, I bet you get out of your house. And you know what you'll do? You'll notice people. A mission trip. So I want to challenge us. Let's go on a workplace mission trip. It's right in front of us. And you could sign up today. How's God spoken to you today? You know, every time the, the 
the word is preached, every time the word is read, God speaks. Are you a refresher? You know where that starts? It starts with you coming to know Christ as your Savior. That's where it starts. And man, Jesus did that for me. Jesus confronted me. And I came to realize I was a sinner. And I needed a Savior. And I couldn't save myself. I couldn't be good enough. I couldn't do um, anything to earn my salvation. But you know what I got to I came to recognize that, that God came. God in the flesh entered human history. And he lived this life that was sinless. He came in a miraculous way and it was hard to understand. He was fully God, fully man. He lived this life that was sinless. And, and it was strange because God is holy and sin and holiness don't work. So Jesus fixed that problem. He went to the cross and he shed his blood. See, I, I, from the beginning of time, God revealed that a that it was the shedding of blood that is the only way sin could be forgiven. But it's not just any blood. It's holy. Holiness. Jesus was holy and perfect, and he, he died. But you see, he didn't stay dead. He rose from the grave. History points to this. The world proclaims this. God revealed it. And there was a, this little boy, when I was almost eight years old, right before my eighth birthday, I went to my mom. I said, Mom, I think I need Jesus in my life. And I just tricked him. I asked him to save me, and he did. See, if you come to Jesus, he'll save you. And that's where it starts. That's why God has put our church in your life. Trust in Jesus today. If you have, let's be an ambassador. Let's open our eyes. Let's respond to the Lord today. Would you stand where you are? Father, would you move us right now? Would you lead us right now? In Jesus' name, amen.